Welcome to See It or Shove It. I'm your host, Greg, and I'm here again this week to give you my thoughts on a selection of new movies playing in theaters and streaming on your TV. Also this week, I revisit a classic film in the segment, Be Kind, Rewind. For our feature movies this week, Oscar nominee Rafe Fiennes cooks up a demented dinner in The Menu. Oscar nominee Carrie Mulligan and Zoe Kazan try to take down Harvey Weinstein in She Said. Oscar nominee Florence Pugh plays a nurse looking after The Wonder. And another Oscar nominee, Amy Adams, returns to the fairy tale life in Disenchanted. Before we get started, I also went to see both Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio and Alejandro González Iñárritu's Bardo False Chronicle of a Handful of Truths, and I'll be sharing my thoughts on both of these Oscar-winning directors' new films as it gets closer to the release date on Netflix. But I wanted to share an experience I had at the theater this weekend. So, when I saw Bardo, I was one of two people in the theater. First of all, why the hell do people insist on reserving a seat that's one or two seats down from you when you're the only people in the theater, it drives me fucking insane, and I will never understand it. I usually move, but this time I felt like this was someone just being a dick, and I wasn't going to give them the satisfaction. So I went right to my seat and stayed there for the first hour and a half of the nearly three-hour film. Not even his aggressively chomping on ice cubes would get me to budge. When I had had enough, I decided to use the restroom, And when I returned, I moved to the front of the theater, and I am glad I did. About a half hour later, I heard what sounded like him having a temper tantrum in his recliner. It sounded like the seat was being rocked back and forth. And then he started shouting that he fucking hated something. I don't know what it was. I was shook. But because nothing comes between me and my movies... I stayed, hoping that maybe he didn't see me come back in from the bathroom and thought that he was alone in the theater. A few minutes later, I got up again and returned, and in case he didn't notice, I made sure to cough during the quiet moments so that he would know that he wasn't alone. Well, about five minutes before the film ended, I heard what sounded like him throwing his plastic cup that had the aforementioned ice that he so enjoyed, followed by another scream of how much he fucking hated whatever it was that was bothering him. And then I said to myself, I gotta get out of here. I didn't want to not see the ending since I had labored through almost three hours at this point, so I stood to the side and watched the last five minutes. Plus, I wanted to get a good look at this nut when the film was over. It was the scariest and strangest experience I have ever had in a theater. I'm telling you. Pennywise the Clown had nothing on this guy. So, my public service announcements from this story are, 1. Don't get a seat next to someone when the theater is empty. It's just weird and unnecessary. And 2. Settle the fuck down when you are watching your movie, and if you can't do that, then stay the hell home. And now, on with the show. A group of entitled people gather on a remote island to experience the dinner of a lifetime. This is the menu. This menu. The pictures, they're of us. This guest list. How do they get this? It's not good. This entire evening. This was just theater. It's stagecraft. We're leaving. No. It has been painstakingly planned. 
hell is going on? We now offer you the 45 second head start. <laughs> okay, 45 seconds starts now. Starring Academy Award nominee Rafe Fiennes as Chef Julian Swalik, the menu follows a group of rich people who board a boat to a remote island that is home to Hawthorne, an upscale restaurant that is known for its themed and exquisitely planned dinners, not to mention very expensive dinners. On the boat is a variety of people, including a has-been actor, played by John Leguizamo, a renowned food critic, played by Oscar nominee Janet McTeer, a retired dysfunctional couple, played by Reed Burney and Judith Light, a trio of tech industry hotshots, and a foodie named Tyler and his date Margot, played by Nicholas Holt and Anya Taylor-Joy. Tyler is beaming with excitement, as this is his dream come true to meet the great Chef Swalik. They arrive at the island and are given a tour by the maitre d', played by a phenomenal Hong Chow, and they are soon seated in the restaurant. The dinner begins and slowly descends into a nightmare experience as Chef Swalik makes it clear that his evening's menu is carefully designed with a specific purpose to terrorize each of the guests, with the possible exception of Margot, who has a mysterious vibe to her. Will Chef Swalik execute his menu as planned, or will he be foiled? When I saw the trailer for this, I predicted it was going to be a see-it, and I give this film a see it. This was everything I wish Triangle of Sadness would have been a few weeks ago. It is a biting commentary on the wealthy. The pacing was perfect. The cinematography was fantastic. The food looked great, especially. And the script was very clever and had me guessing throughout. Taylor Joy and Fines work well off each other, and Fines is perfectly creepy in this role as a domineering chef with a sinister plan. Like I said, Hong Chow, who was one of the few decent things about the film Downsizing a few years back, was terrific, and she deserves any Oscar buzz she may get from her performance in this film. She is impossible to ignore as the film progresses. I was a little hesitant when I saw the preview for this, since it seemed to be yet another take on the entitled population of the world, alongside the Triangle of Sadness and the TV show The White Lotus, but this was a fun movie to watch. Give it a shot if you like thrillers. In October of 2017, two New York Times reporters brought to light years of sexual abuse by one of Hollywood's top producers. This is She Said. The women who receive these settlements, they can't speak out. They'll be sued if they do. But if someone could speak freely about the payouts... What payouts, John? You have to imagine that every call you make has been recorded and you're being followed. Can you imagine how many Harveys there are out there? You want to get me killed. Do you wish you hadn't signed up for this story? Do you? No. Reporters Megan Toohey and Jody Cantor, played by Oscar nominee Carrie Mulligan and Zoe Kazan, researched the whispers of how producer Harvey Weinstein spent years as a sexual predator within his own film studio. It was well known within the film industry the type of person that Weinstein was. 
but the studio continued to cover up the sexual assault allegations brought against him since he was considered one of the most powerful men in Hollywood. Faced with the dilemma of reporting a story that would end up being a he-said-she-said situation, the two reporters began digging into the history of female former employees of the studio Miramax, as well as off-the-record interviews with actresses Gwyneth Paltrow and Ashley Judd, who actually appears in the film as herself. Weinstein had a history of using his power to rape and intimidate women and then threaten them into silence by forcing non-disclosure agreements and cash payouts. The film tells the story of how the two reporters fought against both a powerful Hollywood studio and an impending deadline to break one of the most consequential stories in the paper's recent history. When I saw the trailer for this, I predicted it would be a see-it, and I give this film a... See it. This film was incredibly tight, and even though I knew how it would end, considering that asshole pig Weinstein is currently in prison and on trial for yet more allegations of rape, the way the script and direction paced the film had me on edge throughout. Mulligan and Kazan are excellent in showing how their passion for their work drove the story, sometimes at the risk of their relationships with their husbands and children. The supporting players include Patricia Clarkson, Andre Brower, and stunning performances by Samantha Morton and Jennifer Ely. It really is a shame this film is bombing at the box office, as it is really great. It's one of my favorites of the year so far. I mean, I get it. When you want to spend your time and money, the last thing you want to watch is a story of that creature Harvey Weinstein, but if you do choose to see it, you won't regret it. It reminded me of the film All the President's Men, and was just as tense as that film was. It's definitely worth a watch. Next, in 1862, a young nurse is called upon to watch over a young girl who has been fasting for four months. This is the wonder. Anna is in danger. She's an actress. She's chosen. Are you feeling well in yourself, Anna? Very well, Father. Thank you. What right does a stranger have to come between a child and his people? I'm here to find out the truth. Jesus may save you. I am begging you, you must stop the watch. It was a terrible mistake to bring a nurse here. An English nurse. Lib Wright, played by the great Florence Pugh, is a nurse who is called upon by a committee to watch over a nine-year-old girl who claims to have not eaten in four months. In what appears to be a miracle, the committee looks for answers as to how this can be. Set in the 1840s during the mass famine, Lib meets the young Anna O'Donnell, who insists she's been surviving solely on manna from heaven, and this has caused worshippers to trek to her to stand in awe of the potential saint. Lib has been tasked with making sure food is not somehow being funneled into the girl by her family. Growing more skeptical with each passing day, Lib begins to worry about the fate of Anna, who is growing weaker and weaker. It is up to Lib to try what she can to free Anna from the torment she is facing instead of simply standing over a girl watching her die a slow death. I give this film a... (laughs) 
Mild See It. I really enjoyed this film once it got going, but I will warn you, it is pretty slow at times. It is streaming on Netflix, so I was able to watch it in two parts. It really is a portrayal of empathy versus duty, and Pew is stunning, as always, in her role as the caring yet suspicious nurse. She believes the family is hiding something and is determined to rescue this girl at any cost. The film is based on the 2016 novel of the same name. It makes a solid statement on the dangers of blind faith and skepticism that viewers may be able to relate to. But, like I said, the film can be a bit slow and initially a bit of a chore to watch. But the second half is much more engaging and enough to bring it over to the side of recommending it, especially for Pew, who, let's face it, I'd enjoy watching her read the newspaper. She's consistently great in everything. In the 2007 film Enchanted, Academy Award nominee Amy Adams starred as Princess Giselle, a princess who was thrown into real life by an evil hag. She found her prince charming in the form of a divorce lawyer, and they lived happily ever after. Or did they? This is Disney's Disenchanted. As you can see, Giselle, everyone has their place once you found where you fit. Unruffle can be whatever you wish. I wish for a fairy tale life. Remember, happily ever after, it's not always that easy. My hair is so high and my dress is so low. Jump it, jelly sticks, we got magic. Set about ten years after the events of the first film, Disenchanted finds Giselle and husband Robert, played again by Patrick Dempsey, living in Manhattan with their angsty teenage daughter Morgan. Wanting to live a happier life, the family relocates to the suburbs of Monroeville. Once settled, they begin to realize not everything is picture-perfect there either. Their home is considered a fixer-upper and is criticized by everyone, including the PTA leader Malvina, played by Maya Rudolph, and the king and queen of Andalasia, played by returning cast James Marsden and Adina Menzel, or Adele Dazim, as John Travolta likes to call her. When Morgan has a terrible time adjusting to her new school, Giselle makes a desperate wish on her wand that they will have a fairy tale life. However, considering Giselle is Morgan's stepmother, we all know their reputation in fairy tales is not the best, and Giselle becomes an evil stepmother to Morgan, and the wish becomes a curse as Giselle battles Malvina for power of the village. Can Morgan undo the spell before midnight, or are they doomed? I rate this as a... Shove it. I admit, I did not care for the first film in 2007, and I didn't like this one either. Adams was great as usual, and seemed to be having a ball returning to this character, but the whole thing just seemed off. The songs, oh my god, the songs. They were endless. So much singing throughout. I mean, if you like that sort of thing, maybe you'll enjoy this, but it did not appeal to me at all. I actually began groaning when a new song would come on. There were just so many. A little would have gone a long way in this department. And the script was pretty weak and cliched, and most of the cast seemed to be phoning it in. It is currently streaming on Disney+, Plus and has a specific audience. I am not a part of that target audience. 
However, if you enjoyed the first one, you may like this. So that's it for this week's featured films. To recap, The Menu is in theaters now and is a see it. She Said is in theaters now and is a see it. And it's my pick of the week. The Wonder is streaming on Netflix now and is a mild see it, but mostly because I don't think this would appeal to a lot of people, even though I enjoyed it. And Disenchanted is streaming now on Disney Plus and is a shove it. Even though, like I said, I'll get to Pinocchio and Bardo when it gets closer to their streaming releases in the next few weeks, rather than getting into it now when most people don't have access to the film. I don't have any quick picks for this week, but I'm sure I will next week since I'm on break from school and will have plenty of time to indulge in all the new releases coming out. So, let's move on to the return of the segment, Be Kind, Rewind. Back in 2009, director James Cameron took audiences and the box office by storm when he released a film about the world of Pandora. This is Avatar. The concept is to drive these remotely controlled bodies called avatars. They grown from human DNA mixed with DNA of the natives. Marine in an avatar body. That's a potent mix. You get me what I need, I'll see to it. You get your legs, babe. Starring Sam Worthington, Zoe Saldana, Stephen Lang, Michelle Rodriguez, and Sigourney Weaver, the film tells the story of a paraplegic Marine, Jake, played by Worthington, who is sent on a mission to get on the inside of the world of Pandora and live among the people while disguised using an avatar, a genetically engineered body that is powered by his brain. He receives orders from Parker Selfridge, played by Lang, who wants to mine the moon, Pandora, of a valuable mineral. In doing so, it threatens the existence of the Navi people and turns into an epic battle of survival, leaving Jake torn between following orders or protecting the world of Pandora, a place where he feels a new life can begin. When the film was released in 2009, it was the talk of the world and ended up grossing almost $3 billion over the course of its release and re-releases over the years, becoming the top-grossing film of all time. Everyone seemed to love this film, except for me. Full disclosure, at the time, I was going through an emotional time in a relationship and was not in the mood for anything. I was pissed at the world, depressed, and not in the mood to see grown-ass Smurfs fighting over a damn tree. I tried to give the film another chance a few years later, and I think it triggered bad feelings, and I still wasn't into it. However... Several weeks ago, Disney re-released a remastered version of the film in anticipation of the sequel, Avatar The Way of Water, which is releasing on December 16th. So I decided one night to give the film yet another chance and also refresh my memory before seeing the sequel. Well, I apparently have moved on from my sour feelings as I really enjoyed it this time, and the 3D transfer was stunning. Yes, it was lengthy, and the script was not necessarily all that innovative with many cliches and stock characters peppered throughout, but the technical achievement Cameron had with this film is incredible. It actually made me look forward to the sequel in a few weeks, even though it is three hours and ten minutes. We'll see how well it sustains my attention. 
I look forward to bringing you that after its release on December 16th. That's it for this week. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to listen. I'm very grateful. Support your local theaters by going to see some of the movies I reviewed this month. And while you're at it, share my podcast with your movie and TV loving friends and family in person and on social media. I appreciate all of your support. Come back next week for more reviews of the latest films in theaters and streaming services, including Steven Spielberg's personal tale, The Fablemans, Disney Takes Us Into a Strange World, and Timothy Chalamet and Oscar winner Mark Rylance live a life of cannibalism in bones and all. And I think I'm going to hit my theater goal of 149 films this weekend, so come back to see if I do it. Follow me on Instagram at BrewstersDad73 and rate me wherever you get your podcasts. And I'll catch you next time. For those of you in the United States, happy Thanksgiving and have a great week, everyone. This episode of See It or Shove It was recorded in Orlando, Florida and is produced by Gregory G. Productions. Music by Mysterio Music. All rights reserved.